Welcome to the Optimal You podcast. This is pharmacist Steve Ersfeld. Grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Ersfeld Pharmacy Optimal You podcast. The goal of the podcast is to visit with practitioners and providers in the area and beyond that provide services that might be helpful for you in your journey to become the optimal you. Today's guest is Dr. Rhonda Jolliffe. Uh, she's the owner of the Jolliffe Institute in Bismarck, North Dakota. I uh, was looking at her website earlier and found this uh, description of Rhonda, and I think you're going to really like it. Um, she's a wife, mother, nurse practitioner, functional medicine practitioner, clinical instructor, certified transformation nutrition coach, Pilates instructor, platelet-rich plasma therapy specialist, thermo thermography specialist, and entrepreneur. But I think the newest thing to add to that list, which isn't on there, is grandma. Oh, hey, cool. Thank you yeah. for reminding me. It's been a year and I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yes, yes, that is a new title and it's an important one. Probably my best title. <laughs> that's something that Rhonda and I both recently have added to our, I guess, our personal description. So yeah, so very exciting. So Today's, today's talk, uh, we're going to kind of go over um, hormone replacement therapy and, you know, hormone replacement therapy, you know, we, we talk about natural ways or bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. It's been called human identical therapy, HRT. It's got many different names to go by. And I really liked what you, what you had also on your website was that at the Jolliffe Institute, we understand the importance of balancing hormones, health, and life. And we're here to help you find that balance. So maybe uh, elaborate on that and tell us a little bit more about you, Rhonda. Okay. Well, first of all, Steve, we've been working together for a long time. So I just want to acknowledge that fact that um, I've just really thought the world of you for many, many years. And so I really appreciate you asking me to come on today. I really enjoy this kind of talk. Like I was saying, it's like a conversation and I, I love conversations. So this is awesome. Podcasting is kind of my thing too. I love it. So thank you. So a little bit about me. I became a nurse practitioner in 1997. Prior to that, I was a registered nurse and, and my registered nurse um, career was more intensive care, emergency trauma, that kind of thing. So when I went back to school, I certainly didn't think I'd be doing women's health by any means. It was not on my, it was not on my radar back there in the nineties. So uh, when I uh, completed school, however, um, I was at that time in 97, I had been studying natural medicine and was very interested in natural medicine too, um, prior to graduating. And and so bioidentical hormones came up into that um, field of study. And so in 19, 1997, I started prescribing bioidentical hormones. And that was kind of the kickoff of learning a lot because a lot has changed since then. Some things are the same. Um, the bodies haven't changed, but we've learned a lot more about the bodies since 97. Uh, and 
uh, we're learning more every day. That's the thing about hormones. It's like a constant learning thing. And it, every once in a while, I have this little aha moment. You know, you think after all these years, I would know everything. But I certainly don't. And so there's these little aha moments that come along. So I happened to be practicing in the time of 2002 when the Women's Health Initiative came out and said that breast cancer caused or hormone replacement, estrogen caused breast cancer. That's what it was. That, and that, so well, at that was a what, huge aha moment right there. Wasn't it was an aha. So I had all these women on hormone replacement at the time. And most of my patients were on the bioidentical. By then I, I had a few that weren't, um, that were on your traditional uh, oral estrogens, that kind of thing. But at that time, um, it really was the biggest disservice to women in all humanity. I'm going to throw that all the way in there, a really big. And, and the reason is, is because what we've learned since that major, major thing, which people today still feel that estrogen causes breast cancer. So I have a lot of education to do on that um, whenever I deal with women, because that's their biggest fear. And I say a disservice because estrogen and progesterone, testosterone can really um, improve a uh, a woman's quality of life. And so I think there's been a lot of quality of life issues since that big scare. Uh, and so we're backpedaling now, but we've learned a lot and it is an estrogen that causes it. Obviously there's a lot of things behind a breast cancer diagnosis. And so uh, we do know a lot uh, more now than we did then. And I'm quite comfortable with where I'm at today with the testing that I do and everything that I do to prevent breast cancer in the women, um, if they follow the plan. So we've well, come a long way. We've come yeah, a long way. Totally. I think um, I want to back, back step just a, a, a brief minute and uh, kind of recall, I think I recall getting prescriptions from you fairly soon into your um, career. And then I remember uh, Kevin Oberlander put on a presentation in, in Bismarck and had Jim Paoletti come out and give a talk at the Bismarck, Bismarck Library. And that was the first time I got to meet you face to face. And yeah. um, we, sit, we sat out and visited on the front steps for, I don't know, a half hour, 45 minutes, a group of us. And it was just kind of good to see that dialoguing of like-minded practitioners and kind of, kind of in its infancy a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that day. That was great. I think about that once in a while and it's um, you know, and, and actually it was Kevin. Now that I think of it, it was Kevin in 97, when, right after I graduated said, Hey, do you want to start prescribing bioidentical hormones? Cause he, he was kind of the leader in that. And I said, okay, sure. What is it? <laughs> I just figured it was a good thing coming from Kevin. So it's like, yeah, what do, what do I need to do? Because exactly. certainly did not learn about bioidenticals in school and still are not learning much about it in the schools. I do kind of trickle it in there with the nurse practitioners that I have the, um, uh, that I teach. So that's good. I think I think finding those those students that have a little bit of interest on, you know, I call it alternative but non traditional health um, topics is kind of nice to see that happen and to be able to mentor them. I was just down at a conference in Phoenix this last weekend, and one of the students there were six students with us from NDSU, and one of them kind of expressed an interest in in what we were doing. So 
said, well, let's get your rotation switched out to, out to my pharmacy so you can kind of get, get your feet wet in it. And she's interested in being a PA. So I'm like, this is going to be perfect uh, opportunity for you. So yeah, definitely uh, fun to be around like-minded uh, practitioners all the time. So yeah. And thank you for mentioning that mentorship, because that's really an important thing. And if you knew I was an RN for 12 years and I've been a nurse practitioner since 97, you can kind of figure out my age from there. And it's, it's, I really do want to, the, probably the rest of my career is mentoring other nurses and nurse practitioners into this field. You know, even as RNs, there's so many that so much that they can do to add to this piece of the pie with education, because that's so much education. Yeah. Well, you, you kind of gave a little bit of a history. You peaked on um, the WHI study, which uh, we know was a good study because well, I, when I say good, I want to say it was a good study that was done on synthetic hormones. So it gave a lot of information. Um, was it doing justice to um, a lot of the women that were on bioidenticals or, or other forms? Probably not. But um, any other background on kind of where we are and how we got to where we're at with, with bioidenticals? And if you could maybe shed a little light on that. Yeah, it's um, bioidentical is basically described um, as, you know, there's, like you said, there's a lot of terms, a lot of different terms, you know, and I usually don't use the word natural, you know, natural to me is more, you know, like eating a plant. So um, it really is bioidentical made in a lab. Um, however, the chemistry of these hormones is like your own body's chemistry of the hormones. And so you, you, when you take those that are like your own bodies, your body will accept it more. Now we do know that. And, but there's, there's a one step further that I really, really like to um, go home to that we actually know now through the research over the years, um, which, you know, each, each year we kind of learn a, a few new things, but one of the things I'm really clear on, and I really like to share and, and um, people understand is that we do know that oral estrogens or taking an estrogen by mouth is not the best form of a hormone replacement. And so that would never be one that I would choose, even if it's bioidentical. So it, even if it's bioidentical, and the reason is, is we never know when it's orally, you take it, it has to go through your gut, through your liver system, your kidneys. We never know what pathway that might take. Um, in that way. And there's a risk to that pathway where that estrogen's going. So it's not just about how the hormones are made bioidentical. They're like your own bodies. It's really how they're um, given as well. Um, and so I'm really big on that. And, and, and so therefore I use a lot of creams. Now progesterone itself can be taken as a pill form. Um, and it doesn't hit that pathway like estrogen might. So you might see me prescribing a, a vaginal, or I'm sorry, not vaginal, uh, a bioidentical, well, we'll get to that, <laughs> um, a bioidentical cream form of estrogen, and then maybe a oral or pill form um, that's bioidentical of progesterone. So you might see me doing that. Um, so sometimes that gets a little confusing in itself, but I'm really big on that. I'm also big on, it's really wonderful that we have testing now. So we can see just where those pathways of hormones are going. And so I've really liked to do testing if women are 
open to that to test on seeing where the pathway, their, their hormones are leading to what pathways in their body. So we can really fine tune if they're at risk for, uh, and the things that you're at risk for with hormone replacement is, or hormones, just your natural hormones, um, as it changes, because it changes that menopause anyway, is breast cancer, blood clots, heart disease. Um, and then things that can be hormones are protective of are for that heart protection, the brain protection, the bone protection. So these are all really important things that you need to have a great conversation with an educated person on hormones, because it's not just about getting rid of hot flashes. That's such a minor part of what I look for in deciding hormone replacement. Yeah. You, you mentioned two things. Um, you mentioned oral progesterone. Uh, we, we see that, that, uh, patient group that's getting that usually with uh, sleep deprived or sleep issues. Is that kind of mm -hmm. when you're going to use that form? Yep. 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 That's just a nice, that progesterone at bedtime, it's a calmer progesterone is the calming hormone. And so, and it does really affect the sleep and that can just change everything once you get a woman to sleep well. Awesome. That's great. So can you, can you give me kind of like a, a brief overview of hormones in women throughout the course of their lifetime? What happens? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, puberty is the start of, now there's hormones before that, but puberty is really the start for a woman as that's when our menstrual cycles start. And our menstrual cycles are, I tell everyone this, regular menstrual cycles are probably the number one indicator of a woman's health. And so if, if a woman's menstrual cycles are not regular, there's something chemically going on, there's metabolically going on. Um, and so it's really important to get women to have regular menstrual cycles. Um, <clears throat> so regular menstrual cycles are normally a 28 day cycle, give or take a couple days. If yours is 26, that's fine. If yours is 30, that's fine. Um, but generally a 28 day cycle in the first part of the cycle, that first two weeks, you're producing estrogen. And then in that second part, and very little progesterone in that second part, this is where your progesterone gradually increases. And then at the menstrual cycle is when your progesterone and your estrogen are at its highest. And that is the normal menstrual cycle. Now, as we age around age 30, maybe 32, 34, you know, give or take women will start declining in their progesterone. Um, and that's just a part of, I'm going to call it the aging process, but I hate that word sometimes, but that's what it is because we're getting older. Um, and that's a natural occurrence. Now, some women at age 32 might be one of those women that doesn't have a lot of progesterone to begin with. So this is going to affect her big time out around age 40. Um, and so age 40 is a common time when we see those, what we call perimenopausal phase starts where they have some changes in menstrual cycles or changes in symptoms, um, little night sweats at night, little irritability um, in that last part of their cycle. And that usually has to do from um, a lower progesterone. Now, this is in the most common scenarios. There's also women that have a lot of progesterone and this doesn't, this isn't the issue. Um, and that's where testing really comes in. And I really like to test in that 
premenopausal, perimenopausal phase, because then we know where they're at um, so we can prepare for menopause. Um, and then at menopause, the average age of menopause is around 50 to 51. And that's when you have the definition of menopause is when you haven't had your menstrual cycle for a year. That's the definition. Uh, and so there is that perimenopause phase that can last from some women start at age 38. I mean, so we're looking at 12 years of perimenopausal symptoms um, if they go to 50, 51. So it can go for a long time. And that perimenopausal phase sometimes is the worst phase because the hormone fluctuation is so radical at times that they have severe symptoms on and off throughout the month. But classic symptoms, if you're noticing that you have symptoms that week before your cycle or two weeks before your cycle, this is generally a lower progesterone where your estrogen is staying higher. Um, and so you have what we call estrogen dominant kind of state where there's a lot of symptoms that are involved in that. Yeah, you uh, mentioned uh, progesterone and, and we talk about uh, you know, maybe touch on safety a little bit. But when we think about, you know, when when is a female's progesterone highest in the course of her lifetime? And that's going to normally be during pregnancy. It like goes through the roof mm -hmm. to maintain pregnancy. Yeah. So we think about uh, about that and and, you know, it's safe at those high levels during pregnancy. So adding a little bit to a woman's regimen is very safe um, mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, if you, if you listen to women's history and I usually like to get a history, a menstrual history, and then, hey, how did you feel at pregnancy? And if, you, if a woman tells you, I felt amazing during pregnancy, that generally to means, me means they probably have a lower progesterone going into pregnancy. And that's why they felt so good because their progesterone is so high in pregnancy. So that is a, you know, that is kind of one of those history taking items that I like to hear because I can kind of guess then from their history on, are they a higher estrogen, lower progesterone woman? Are they a high testosterone woman, lower estrogen? You know, you can listen, you can really get an idea just from history on uh, menstrual cycles and symptoms. Yeah. Something you're probably not going to get in a five to 10 minute office visit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it does take a little time to dig a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's right? the, yep. That's, that's the reason, you know, people go, why don't doctors deal with this? Well, the answer is that they just don't have the time in their day. They are on a schedule of 10 minute visits, 15 minute visits. That is the true answer. It does take a lot of time to really sit down with a woman, talk about her history, um, talk about her family history is really important and what's happened, you know, what kind of history that they bring in the family history, you know, and their genetic makeup is extremely important. And then once you get all the answers, there's a lot of education that goes on to really help that woman be the best that she can be in optimal health, because that's really what it's about. You know, hormones itself, I always think of hormones as if you can picture a tree and you have, you have the roots down underground, I picture those hormones as the roots um, and they are in every cell of our body. So, so many people think, oh, it's in your ovaries. And once your ovaries, you don't really need it. Or it's in your uterus. Once your uterus is gone, you don't need that hormone progesterone because that's where 
most of our progesterone is used. And that's so untrue because hormones are on every cell of our body. We have receptor sites and they are so important in so many functions of the body. And any woman that's gone through menopause can understands this because when you lose your hormones, the symptoms list is long. And, you know, it's long, it's, it's your skin, it's your hair, it's your nails, it's your GI system, it's your brain function, you know, not to mention the vasomotor symptoms of uh, vaginal dryness and hot flashes and all of that. So the list is long and the list is long because it's important on every cell in your body. That's awesome. That's a great description. I like that tree analogy. I've never heard that. Yeah, That's great. So so you, you kind of touched a little bit on testing. Do you want to explain maybe some of the options that you use and maybe why? Sure. Um, that's changed over the years. I've, I've done a lot of different testing so from blood to saliva to urine. Um, urine test is just more readily available in more recent years. In my early years, I did blood testing, but then there was some really quite good saliva testing too that I did for years. And that was really helpful. And so the difference in testing, basically, um, blood tests is what hormone that you have in your bloodstream. So your blood is circulating hormones all the time. And that blood test can tell me how much hormone do you have in that blood? The, the saliva test is a tissue response. So it's like, is that getting to the tissue? Are those hormones from the blood getting to the tissue? And so that's a great indicator of where you're at as well with your hormones. And the tissue is where a lot of the symptoms happen. So if your hormones just stick around in the bloodstream and they don't go anywhere, you're going to have a lot of symptoms. So you might have a, enough hormone in the blood, but it's not getting out to the tissues where the symptoms are, are, are creating the problems. Um, and then the urine test is actually uh, metabolites. So it's like, it's gone through the body. It's excreted out the urine. What's left. There's, there's indicators that we look at in their, their metabolites of estrogens, um, progesterones, testosterones. And so that has been very helpful as well, because it really gives us a good idea of what pathway. When I talked about pathways, it gives us a good idea of what pathway goes down. Your hormones are going down and the metabolites can actually tell us, are you at risk for certain things like breast cancer, blood clots, that kind of thing, because of how your body metabolizes hormones. Uh, and so that to me has just been a step up from really giving great information. We've had that urine test for quite a few years, but um, it's, it's gotten more um, the technology has improved so much that I can trust this technology. And we do know that in the case of breast cancer, there's been researched on that, on those metabolites that in the case of breast cancer women, we do know that many of those are not metabolizing their estrogens correctly. And to me, I believe that's more of a factor than how much you have, or if you're on hormone replacement. So that's going to be a lead in question too. So let's let's say you do a urine test and you're finding out that you're not metabolizing your, your hormones correctly. Um, what would just be some options that, that you would do as a practitioner to help those patients out? Well, it starts with lifestyle. I have a lot of supplements that can do this, but I don't even like using them unless they agree to a little lifestyle change. So I use a lot of supplements that are designed for that very thing. 
And I see changes. So I will get a test and they're not metabolizing their hormones correctly. I put them on a plan three months, four months, maybe six months later, we get another test and it changes. So I see this clinically. I, it's not something foo-foo out there. I see it in my clinical practice. It's clinical information that does change how that woman um, metabolizes and processes her hormones. And so it does decrease her risk. So some of the things that I use lifestyle, um, you know, and I hate to tell you, but the diet is probably the most important thing. And people don't want to hear that they want to come in and have a pill to get fixed. And it, you know, it just, it doesn't work that way. If you're, you can take all the pills you want and some of these things, but if you're eating a high sugar diet, um, high carbohydrate diet, processed food, never eating any fruits, vegetables, um, all of the good stuff, you're probably not going to metabolize your hormones correctly. And in particular, cruciferous vegetables are extremely important for estrogen metabolism. Now there's a pill that has, that can help us with that. Um, indole three carbonyl it's called, and that can help us. But if you're not getting the natural, I really like to get the more natural forms, eating your fruits and vegetables as your way of getting more nutrients. And the more nutrient dense foods you use in your diet and the less processed foods, sugars, processed breads, cereals, pastas, all of that, uh, the better you're going to be. And then there's exercise. <laughs> And so this is lifestyle. Um, exercise is a really big deal. And there was a huge study done in 2014 that I always like to talk about. And it, it was on exercise and recurrence of breast cancer. And they found, and it was 75,000 people, women, so that had breast cancer. So it was a large, large study um, that showed that those that exercise their reincurrence of breast cancer was significantly reduced. So that is one of the research studies that I always like to bring up because the importance of exercise, I cannot stress it enough. And exercise will help that estrogen metabolism. And then there's stress management. <laughs> and this is the one that I have a harder time. I can get women to exercise and eat pretty good. Um, but this stress management thing is a conversation that I get really serious on because when that test that I'm talking about, by the way, is the Dutch test of the, of the urine. Um, it does test oh. the cortisol levels and the cortisone and DHEA, which are our stress hormones. Uh, and so that can tell me how much your stress is creating the problem. And I got to tell you, it's creating the, a lot of problems. And so, um, and that, and it's the hardest to treat. I'm going to tell you that it's the hardest to treat because we have stressful lifestyles. And I basically tell women, here's the deal. You're going to have to get this under control or your hormones are going to always be out of whack because cortisol, I call it a major hormone. Cortisol is a life-sustaining hormone. And that needs to be in check as well as your insulin through diet and exercise needs to be in check because those two hormones run the show, especially at menopause. And so those are vitally important to get balance of your hormones. It's the most important and adrenaline is another one. So when you're talking about hormone balance, I really start there a lot. Um, because adding estrogen and progesterone and testosterone to a woman that is stressed 
and not eating well is a dangerous task. I, it's, it's not one we should be doing. Um, it might help them temporarily, symptomatic control, but long-term it's, it's probably not doing them justice if they're not willing to change their lifestyle and um, in particular, their, manage their stress. So that's my to-do. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a big uh, checklist of things to do. And that's, that's why they need somebody to guide them through that. Because uh, it's not just throwing something at, throwing a hormone no. and hoping that we're going to get better. So yeah, great explanation of that. Um, I have, um, uh, we're going to maybe talk a little bit about treatment. So um, I know you mentioned topical versus oral uh, being a, an option. What other ways do you utilize hormones in your practice? So I do, I do a lot of creams. I still like the cream farm. I seem to get the best and to me, it's very safe but I might do a um, cream of estrogen and an oral pill of progesterone, um, cream of testosterone. You might see some combination like that. Um, there's in the creams, the estrogen creams that, that are um, made in the compounding pharmacies contain estradiol and estriol. And estriol in particular is really important and vital for vaginal dryness, which is one of the more common symptoms of menopause. So using estradiol, um, even topically, but also vaginally, intervaginally, um, can really help that symptom of vaginal dryness. So I, I use a lot of vaginal creams as well. Um, and the oral progesterone there's one bioidentical that's made um, through a drug company. It's called Prometrium. And then, and that's the only one. So if you are on any um, progesterone, it's, and it's not called progesterone unless it's a bioidentical. If it's not bioidentical, it's called progestin. And that would be your Provera. Um, that's the, um, the ones that are made um, in pill form. And those have a whole different, um, are in a whole different category to me. Um, and I never prescribe them. And anyone that's on them, I do take them off. Um, if you look at the research over the years, it's really the Provera um, that, or the um, synthetic progestin mm -hmm. that created the problems, okay? And so that is one thing that we really need to get the education out there. That's where the problem lies. Um, I might do a patch, a bioidentical patch of um, hormone replacement. And I'm always tickled when I get a, uh, when I get a patient in um, from a regular doctor that doesn't prescribe um, bioidentical compounded creams, but has a patient on a patch a, a, a vaginal patch and then Prometrium because that's their choice. That's, that's what they choose. And that's definitely a much better choice than an oral pill that contains um, uh, estrogen, estrified estrogens and um, progestin, which can be, we do know that's where the problems lie. Yeah. That's a, that's kind of a great overview. A couple of side notes on that. So I know we, we have some women that just don't want any estrogen, uh, and then we're, we're dealing with vaginal dryness. One of, the, one of the products that we do compound that works very well for those patients is a vitamin E cream, and then we can add uh, some hyaluronic acid to that as well. 
um, that's been a great option for those that are like, I don't want any hormones. And that's, that's fine. We try and meet. And I think you're with what, what you've said too, is you're trying to meet the patient where they're at to, to get the most benefit. If you can meet them where they're at, they're going to have more buy-in and hopefully they're, they're going to start exercising and eating right and doing all those things on top of it as well. So awesome. Well, um, and that's, what's great about compounding. You can really tailor it to the patient and I can do my dosing so much like minute dosing so much easier than you can with what's available on the market. That, that dosing is, you know, not always right for a lot of people anyway. So that's what I love about compounding. Yeah. Well, cool. So, um, I was visiting with my crew before, uh, you know, letting them know that we're going to do podcasts with Rhonda today and, and wondering if they had any questions for you, for you. And, um, Chanel Decker, my one of my pharmacists who works with a lot of women on hormones, had uh, wondered if you could touch just a little bit about um, maybe menstrual cycles, uh, post-COVID, uh, post-vaccine, vaccine, and just just uh, if there's anything you could shed light on in that respect. You know, I would love to shed light on that. Thank you for asking that question, Chanel. And by the way, I love Steve's staff. They are amazing. You have amazing staff and they're so helpful with the patients. So I just get such good results. So thanks for asking that question. And I, I would love to touch on it because it is a concern of mine. So, um, co and, and I've seen things. So now we're a couple years into COVID, a little bit more than two years. And basically COVID itself, um, when you get the virus, you create spike proteins. The virus creates spike proteins in your body. And there are proteins that are on the cell and it's the spike protein of COVID that creates the problem. And the spike protein goes to different areas in our body. Um, and one of them is the ovaries. And so if that little spike protein decides to get to those ovaries, it can really cause havoc on your menstrual cycle. And so a common thing I'm hearing is a skipped cycle or two cycles after COVID. Hopefully it's only one or two cycles. If it's more, then that is a red flag to me that they have what we call long haul COVID symptoms, and that needs to be treated. Um, so your menstrual cycles should, if you're, if the virus goes down, the spike proteins goes down, and it it releases out of your body naturally in a nice way by supporting your immunity, those spike proteins shouldn't ca cause problems more than one to two cycles. If it's, if you're skipping more than two cycles, or you now have all these irregularities, extra bleeding, not bleeding, extra bleeding, cramping, anything that has to do around your menstrual cycle that has changed, you really need to get checked out for post COVID. Um, Cause there's a lot of great treatments for post COVID now. Now the vaccination does the same thing. It creates sp spike proteins. So, you know, some people, Oh, COVID's so bad for you. COVID's not bad for you, vaccines bad for you, vaccines good for you, whatever, doesn't matter. They both create spike protein and that spike protein can cause problems on the ovaries. So we have seen a rise in um, miscarriages um, from both COVID and from the vaccine. That's been, the statistics are actually quite alarming to me. Um, and then we have seen a lot of um, blood clots, clotting with the menstrual cycles, um, heavy duty bleeding um, or skip cycles. So we're seeing a lot. We're seeing a lot of menstrual cycles. This is not, this is real. This is not something that, oh yeah, 
whatever you read about, I'm seeing it clinically in my clinic every day. So that is one thing that you do need to be treated. And basically it's supporting your immunity. It's getting your immune system back up to fight off those spike proteins and maybe doing a little detox to detox those spike proteins out. And so that's a whole show in itself, but that is just what I'm going to say about that. Um, There it's real, it's real. And it is important to not ignore it because if you're a woman that your menstrual cycles have now changed and they're not going back to normal and you haven't ever had any kids, you want to get this taken care of. So you don't have that increased risk for infertility as time goes on. And that is extremely important to get that word out. Yeah. Great, great explanation of uh, what's going on with that. Um, so we're kind of uh, entering the, the end of our time here. So um, I, I always uh, greet Rhonda with this phrase, help me Rhonda, help, help me Rhonda. And I know there's <laughs> probably going to be some women out there that are probably thinking, Rhonda, I need your help. <laughs> so the, the big question would be, um, how, how would some of our listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to uh, schedule some? Okay. Yeah. You always do say that. Help me Ron. And you even say it to my nurses <laughs> and they get the biggest kick out of it when you call. Um, yeah. So I've done some changes over my career here. I, I, I had a, a very busy primary care practice, which I decided, and it was because of COVID that I decided to make a change and kind of give up that practice and really work with people with their immune systems, getting back from COVID and, And of course, hormones is always my favorite thing. So I'm always going to continue that. One of the things that I really want to do is, um, and and it is a goal of mine, uh, is to bring groups of women together and educate because education is the key. And if, and I really, I, I still block off an hour for a new patient, but that's not even enough for me to really tell you everything I want to do. So, so my goal is, and I'll probably start this up in September is to have, or maybe before, um, to have groups where I get a group of 10 women together and that can be on zoom that, you know, we can do it on zoom. We can do, um, in, in house and, as a group and educate because there's about three hours of education that I really like to share um, on what you need to do to understand your hormones and what you can do to um, balance your hormones and have healthy, optimal um, life and preventing chronic illness as well. Um, And so there's about three hours of information. And then in as part of that group, um, if you're, if you want to do a Dutch test, and then I would meet with you one on one going over the Dutch test, that's kind of what I want to do. Um, because I, I can only see so many people in one day, I think this would really help um, to get that education out there. So this is my goal. So if you want, and you're listening, um, you can just contact um, if you go to my website, it's it's jolliffinstitute.com, J-O-L-L-I-F-F-E-F as in Frank, institute.com. Um, there's, there's a contact us and it's Ask Dr. Rhonda is what it's called. And it goes to Ask Dr. Rhonda, or you can just email askdrrhonda.com and let, and let me know that you're interested in that. I'll get a list going. And, and as soon as I have that available, um, I can put you on the list for that. Otherwise you can um, call and set up an appointment too. I am doing hormones is, is one of my favorite things to do by the way. And so um, my schedule is a lot more open than it was um, before December. 
So I'm seeing hormones again because it is it is my love and interest. I don't think it came across that well that you're that passionate about hormones. I'm just just kidding around. <laughs> yeah, when you start talking about COVID, it says, "Well, yeah, I've been studying that too." But and I'm helping people with COVID issues as well. But hormones is my love. <laughs> you are and will continue to be a wealth of information. I think uh, Bismarck and Western North Dakota is just lucky to have you out there as a practitioner. So keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we, we love working with you and your staff as well. And um, great having you on the show. And I appreciate you so much. And thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll maybe do this again, huh? Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Steve. And you keep doing what you're doing. I, I appreciate you and your staff. So Keep it up, the good work. All right. Thanks much. As always, be vigilant about your health.